Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode six of Orion's Belt, a games industry podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Lance Tallman. And I'm one of your hosts, Connor Ball. And today we're going to be introducing a new segment of the podcast, and we're going to be calling it Design Ingredients. Um, and it's basically, we're just going to take different mechanics and strategies and mainstays of games and game design, talking about kind of their pro and cons, how they work, why you should use them. And today we're going to be talking about social deduction. Yeah, social deduction games have really been on the rise as of late. Wouldn't you agree, Connor? I would. I'm sure all of you are familiar familiar with Among Us. It's probably the biggest one, um, big example. But yeah, they have been on the rise. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, I mean, people are cognizant of this, but I, I think what a lot of people don't realize is social deduction games have been around for a long time. And you've probably, no matter who you are, how infatuated you are with games or not, you've probably played some sort of social deduction game. And so today, Connor and I are going to kind of break down a bunch of different concepts related to social deduction and give kind of like some good advice and some strategies for how to implement it, what makes it good, uh, what makes it bad perhaps, um, but basically just everything about social deduction games. So let's jump to our overview. So first we're gonna talk about what is a social deduction game or what is social deduction in general. Then we're gonna jump to some popular social deduction games, gameplay balance, replayability, uh, concerning the same group of people or different groups of people, and then integration. Um, but let's actually, no, what am I saying? But yeah, no, let's just jump right in. Oh yeah. So the first thing we'll just go ahead and try and kind of define exactly what is social deduction. And so we kind of have a list of core aspects of a social deduction game. So the first one being hidden information and obviously hidden information is integrated within a lot of different games. Um, but with social deduction, the information is kind of related to the interests of each player. And that's the second point is that everyone in the game or some people in the game have opposing interests. And that's kind of what makes, brings out the social deduction aspect of it. Um, with this said, there's also in some games uncertainty, which I'll let Lance give an example. Yeah, so for hidden information and opposing interests, right? This is like, you could be playing a game of cards. You each have your own hand, right? And that is hidden from your opponent usually, yeah, right? Yeah. Opposing interests, each of you want to win unless it's a co-op game, you can't both win, right? Like that kind of makes sense. Uncertainty is a little bit different. Uncertainty is more the notion that for a social deduction game to work, everyone can't have complete information. Even if it's, even if the hidden information is like relatively superficial, it can't be complete. Or at least there has to be the illusion of some sort of additional factor that people can't predict. And that's why, as we'll talk about, when you play a social deduction game a ton, that uncertainty gets lower and lower right because even if you don't know what they have they only have so many things they can have you know what i mean mm -hmm. and so that's just an interesting facet of the game so i wanted to bring up the game dead of winter which is a really popular board game that is amazing and i would totally recommend if you've never played it but it uses uncertainty in a pretty interesting way basically in dead of winter you are a bunch of survivors in your typical zombie apocalypse life but how every session of the game goes is there are, let's say there's four people playing the game, there is a chance for a traitor to be in the game. But what's really cool about Dead of Winter is there isn't always a traitor. There's just a chance for a traitor to be in the game. And so it's a nice take on this uncertainty principle because it's not that you can't, you know you can't trust everybody. There's always a chance. There's always a chance that you can't, that someone's working against you. So and it kind of always has to keep you on your feet. Exactly, right? Because there's never... You can't always be skeptical of everybody because if people are doing stuff just genuinely in their best interests, it might just be because there's no traitor in the game. It's really fun, a super cool dynamic. 
Because Dead of Winter is a co-op game, so you're all yes. trying to oh, win thank together. You. You're not Absolutely. going against each other. Unless, of course, a traitor pops up. Right, so it's also the uncertainty, I guess, is in the oppo- uh, opposing interests. You're not sure if you have opposing mm-hmm. interests or mm-hmm. not, which is really, it's a really cool dynamic. And so let me just kind of give you, I'll give you guys just a basic mm, definition that really defines like social deduction. Um, and that's kind of this idea of good versus evil or deception versus truth. And so basically at least in most scenarios, you're going to usually have two sides. Um, One being people who are trying to deceive the others and one being people who are trying to seek out the truth, i.e. find out who's trying to deceive everyone. Um, And so usually the deceivers are going to be outnumbered, but they're going to have access to more resources and probably more information, i.e. they probably know who is, you know, trying to deceive or, you know, on the bad team and who's on the good team. Um, and so they're trying to deceive everyone who are not deceivers. Yeah, it's it's interesting. So then you have the the other group, right? Who are the truth seekers, and the the truth seekers are they're the majority, and they're the group of people who usually have very limited information, right? They don't really know what's going on in totality. Um, they have the best interests kind of of the group at heart and their whole idea is that they're operating in good faith but only have partial information yeah and so that's essential because if they had full information then they know who the traders were right or they'd be able to make optimal decisions and even if they had the same amount of information as the tr- the deceivers or the traders whatever you want to call them uh, then because they have the majority, they'd be able to win every time. So that's why it's a really interesting dynamic. Yeah, because when, when when you get into these games, everyone is playing as if they're a truth seeker, right? Everyone's going to be playing as if, hey, we're all on the same t- team here. We're just trying to figure out who's the bad guy, even if you are the bad guy, right? Because that's the whole point. Absolutely. And most games, Dead of Winter is a little bit of a uh, exception. Um, most games, most games, you know, there's a bad guy. Even when you know there's a bad guy in the group, there's everyone's going to be playing exactly like Connor said to like the good guy. No, none of the bad guys are going to be overtly a bad guy unless it's a different type of game. Yeah, and to give a good example of this, we'll probably we'll just go into you know popular social deduction games, and we'll first discuss kind of the all father of social deduction games. Um, and so this is Mafia or maybe Werewolf as well. Um, I'm sure a lot of you have at least heard of the game and. This is kind of like, if you were to look up the definition of a social deduction game, this would be the prime example. And this being that in Mafia, right, if you've played before, um, usually have like a narrator who goes around and, you know, gives roles to people. And so the traitors or what are they called in Mafia? I know they're the werewolves and werewolves. Well, there's the the Mafia. Oh, the Mafia. Yeah. Okay. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) When you, if you're selected as the Mafia, um, you usually know who is in the mafia and you know everyone who's not but if you're not in the mafia then you have no idea who is in the mafia who's the bad guy and to clarify the mafia is usually some like really small percentage of the whole group say you're playing with like 25 people there's probably like three or four mafias maybe five yeah um and so that's really you know that's like kind of the first rendition really a really you know well done example of of social deduction games and some more examples of board games are secret hitler is another one i think that's very similar to mafia um coup which has social deduction elements um 
but everyone is kind of going against everyone else, so it's it's less team-based. Um, and then there's also one, Battlestar Galactica, which is similar to Dead of Winter, which Lance brought up, but usually there's a traitor or can be a traitor. There's always a traitor, but it doesn't... There's always a traitor once you get throughout the game in its totality, but there might not be a traitor for the first half of the game. It's kind of weird how it works. But yeah. basically, after the... Once you're halfway through the game, there will be a traitor of some sort. Gotcha. And so these games really just have social deduction, at least as one of their core elements. Um, and it's built around that. Yeah, absolutely. So for video games, they they have to take the ideals of board games and manipulate them a little bit to get the same social deduction uh, feeling, I guess is the best way to say it. And so first I want to talk about Town of Salem because this is the perfect... When we're talking about adaptations of social deduction games to the video game medium, this is maybe the perfect one. Town of Salem is literally just Mafia, the the pseudo board game, whatever, just play with your friends, narration game Mafia, except digitized. It's literally the exact same game, except instead of a Mafia, I can't remember. It's, I don't know, you're like townspeople and there's like a bad, I can't even remember who the bad guy is in Town of Salem. You know what, it actually might even be a werewolf. It might be a werewolf, actually. I think it actually might be, yeah suffice to say it's literally the exact same game um but it's digitized so there's a little bit more uh, ambiguity i guess uh there's more it's one it's easier to hide so one key facet of a game like mafia and here's the thing mafia once you play a bunch of it you realize the mechanics of mafia are really simple and usually if you play mafia every single day you're gonna get bored of it really quickly because most of the like how you find out who the werewolves are and stuff like that in Werewolf or Mafia is by looking at the people like in real life and like mm-hmm. judging their answers or their... And in Town of Salem, you can't do that because it's... We'll get into this discussion later about constraints versus rules, but there's usually... There's not even voice chat as far as I know in Town of Salem unless think, you're playing with other yeah, people. Yeah, I think it's just like text. So it's text chat and that takes... That detracts a lot away from it. Um, not to say that social deduction games can't be done as video games, but this is a great example of they can't be directly adapted or problems are going to ensue just because of the nature of deducing things socially. Like you have to have a very high channel richness to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so another one is Project Winter. This is like, I don't know, I'd say it's a... Most people on this podcast or listening to this will probably know what Among Us is. If you don't, you've at least heard of it. Project Winter, I would say, is Among Us with extra steps. There's a lot, and that's a complete oversimplification, but there is, basically, you're completing all these tasks, there's proximity voice chat, and you're, like, trying to survive this harsh winter and complete some sort of objective, and there's a traitor among one of you, and it's scary because usually you have to venture out into this, like, frozen wasteland and gather supplies and stuff, and at any time, your companion, your faithful companion who's coming with you can, like, betray you and kill you or something like that if they're the traitor. And so it is a, how Project Winter kind of solves the problem Town of Salem couldn't is by proximity voice chat, right? Mm -hmm. That's how they integrate that social component into a video game. Yeah. And it also introduces mechanics that are directly related to social deduction because in Mafia and Town of Salem, there's nothing that you do really other than discuss, right? So there's no like, oh, you have to go here and do this or, you know, you have to make sure that you are also doing this. It's literally just saying... Okay, somebody died. Let's discuss. Think who it is and choose. And them. yeah, that's some, it. Somebody died. Somebody else has to die. Let's right. just there's nothing other decide. than what other than what people are saying or you know like what the the looks on their faces are or how they say things. That you have nothing else to base it off of. 
And so I think that's one of the advantages. And I will expand on all of this a little bit later, but of adapting video games to social deduction, you have to put direct support in yes. to supplement them yes. because the the need for socialization in video games is harder. It's just inherently harder since you're oh, yeah. not in, per, in person. Yeah, with without these the person to person interaction, it's just you not have to be... supplement it in yeah, some way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and the last one is Among Us, right? Super popular game, and this is, I think is a brilliant Among Us is a brilliant strategy or segue into our or into the concept of mechanical simplicity to promote um, social deduction. But before we get to that, I'll briefly explain what Among Us is because we'll probably be talking about it a lot. So Among Us, it is a, what, like five to 10 player um, social deduction game where you are crewmates on a ship. Your ship is failing. There's a bunch of things are going wrong. And out of the the crewmates are the good guys. And there's an imposter who's the bad guy. And the imposter, oh, sorry. Oh, there could be like one to two imposters depending on how much, how many players you're playing with. Exactly. And so the imposter looks just like the crewmates, et cetera. Um, but he roams the ship, dis- like damaging systems and disrupting the crewmates uh, with the ultimate goal of getting the upper hand and leveraging his special powers that the crewmates don't have to kill everybody on the ship. Uh, there's more to it, but that's that's the, the general preface or premise for that matter. Okay, that is all we have for popular social deduction games and kind of our brief overview of what social deduction is. Let's get into our discussion about well, the meat of the discussion, right? Like, what makes social deduction games fun? Yeah, like, what does it add? What is social deduction adding to your game or to the gameplay of a game? Um, and first, we're going to talk about how when you do want to use social deduction, in most cases, if you want your game to be centralized around this, you kind of have to bring everything else down, and what we're saying, what I'm saying by that is that you kind of have to make other mechanics of your game somewhat simple. Um, because just with the nature of social deduction, if you have the more stuff that you have to do, the less important it is or the less centralized deduction is if you have other ways to, you know, go about playing the game. Yeah, absolutely. You have to, you have to be able to simplify the the core mechanics that way the the social mechanics can take more effect and to be honest social discussion and stuff like that always takes longer than just regular gameplay experience like regular mechanics and so if it's too complex the game is just going to take forever and it's going to be really brutal in that regard um so battlestar galactica which I wanted to bring up again is not mainly centered around social deduction, whereas Secret Hitler is. And this is a great example of that complexity. So Battlestar Galactica, as we talked about, there's a possible traitor halfway through the game, etc. But but mainly what's happening is you're the humans. If you've ever seen the TV show Battlestar Galactica, the board game is based off the remake, the like 2008 remake or whatever. Um, so the humans are trying to escape the Cylons and get to, you know, this like fantasy world to reestablish humanity. And most of the game is fighting Cylons and like dealing with crises to overcome the various challenges of space and get out, right? Like you've played the game. Oh, yeah, Would you yeah, say that's, that's accurate? Yeah, that, that's a good description. So then to complicate things and make that a little harder, there is this social deduction component where one of the crewmates of this ship or one of the, the crew members of Galactica could be a Cylon. And so that's where the social deduction comes into it. And don't get me wrong, it's not like a minor thing. Like it's pretty big when you're trying to figure out who the Cylon is or like detain them once you figure out it's it's them. 
Uh, but the core experience is fighting like known Cylons and, you know, overcoming these crises to get out. Yeah. And also uh, something that you should, we should probably bring up as well is that even if you do discover, oh, this person's the traitor, this person's the son, they're the bad guy, that doesn't necessarily mean either team wins or loses. Yes, um, right. Yeah, that's a really good point. Once you discover that information, the game doesn't end. That's just like yeah. one component of the game. But with Secret Hitler, if you were to say, you know, 100% know who the bad guy is, right, who the deceivers are, that would have a, a much bigger impact then. I mean, the game would effectively end. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's uh, right. And so that's, that's the next game, Secret Hitler. So Secret Hitler, uh, it's a great board game amazing would highly recommend but exactly as connor said the entire game is based off figuring out who the fascists and who hitler is which i realize us saying this makes very little sense out of context uh but suffice to say the the fascists are the deceivers and the liberals are the uh truth seekers yeah and once you discover the whole gameplay loop is centered around not knowing who the fascists and hitler are and once you figure that out figure that out or if that information was just known the game effectively ends because the liberals with the majority will always win. Yeah. So then the last game I wanted to talk about in relation to gameplay to really drive this point home is a game called Rising Sun. I, I actually just played this for the first time last week and I was pretty intrigued because the entire game, basically it's about like, I don't know, feudal Japan and the entire game's mechanics are based around social interaction. And it's really interesting because the game is really simple. Like, you basically just have some units and you move them around like a country-esque map, kind of like Risk. And you can't really take that many actions. Like there's just not that much to do mechanically. But there's so much bartering and like deal making that the game took a like we didn't even finish. And we played for like six hours or something like that, maybe longer. Um, so that's that's like one of these reasons, like I said, why you have to simplify the mechanics so the social the social components can shine. Yeah. And so with that, I'll go ahead and just kind of go into more depth about the simplified mechanics and why you really need to have simplified mechanics. Um, and a main reason for this is that when you have a social deduction game, you're making the game more about the players and who's playing and how they're playing rather than the direct strategy that would be related to what actions you take or what you can do. And so I'll just use this as an example with chess, right? The biggest thing in chess is you have all these different pieces to move. And so the entire game is trying to figure out, okay, if I move my piece here, that indicates this, this, and this, right? It's a very logical process. And obviously, although it's important to think about what your opponent's doing, that's kind of where the main strategy comes from. With social deduction, with a social deduction game, there's not a lot of actions you can take. Maybe there's like, you can do this, or you can do that, or you can, you know, have very few choices. And what is important within the game is you're trying to figure out who everyone, like what, what the intention of everybody is. Um, and so that's why also you need to have simple mechanics because if you don't have simple mechanics, then that gives outlets for players to kind of ignore the social deduction system, which would make it you know, more difficult or less centralized to figure out who's the bad guy, who's the good guy. Yeah, in our discussion of Root, we talked about how not everybody likes politics. And if you give, sometimes if you give people a better alternative than politics, some people, sometimes if you give people a better alternative than politics, they'll still choose politics because it's more fun. But oftentimes, if people have just like a better, more surefire, more uh, 
consistent and less risky way to do something based on the game's mechanics rather than trying to make a back-end deal they're always going to choose that way oh yeah and so it undermines the ability for like a social deduction game to shine in that regard exactly because you just yeah you need to have the ability or you need to have almost the restriction that you kind of have to interact with your opponents and figure out what they're trying to do so the next thing we get to are the pros and cons and then a neither element of gameplay including social deduction as a gameplay component for your game so the pros are emergence, and I think this is something that if you've ever played Dungeons & Dragons, you know about. Sometimes it's really nice to have a big party in, as a DM in Dungeons & Dragons because the party will like entertain themselves and you don't have to do as much work. And it's the exact same idea in a social deduction game. If you're a mechanic, you can, you can get away with simpler mechanics and a simpler core gameplay loop because the inherent discussion and, politi- discussion and politicking that's going on between players is going to entertain them and take up a lot of time. Yeah, that, no, that's, that's a really good point. And it's, it's nice because it almost allows different experiences to be had based on who's playing. Um, and we'll kind of get into this later in terms of replayability. But it almost is like, it, it feels good because it's almost like as a play group, you're kind of getting to direct the experience or define the experience instead of, you know, having to follow a strict set of rules that says, this is what the game is, this is how you play it. I hope you think it's fun. You have some control over it, mm-hmm. right? You have some control over kind of how you interact with one another and, you know, what type of vibe you want to reach, whatever that is. Um, and it just makes it more flexible, which in a lot of cases, especially when you have a lot more people, makes it a lot more fun and entertaining. Absolutely. And so... It's also a double-edged sword because the cons are if you play the exact same game with the same group of people, the game can get really stale or it can get really heated. Um, And these are two kind of very different arguments. I'll let you talk about heated in a second. But for a game becoming stale, all that means is we were talking about this earlier. The uncertainty and the idea of hidden information gets diminished when you play the game so many times because it's a game, right? And there can only be so many options for players to for that on what for what that uncertain and hidden information can be right even if it's one of us will be the imposter eventually once you play the game well enough you can figure out oh i know exactly what connor does as an imposter or like as a deceiver i can like i know his ticks and that's just something that happens when you play with somebody enough at the exact same rule set right and so that's how that's that's why they're stale i mean it can become stale and i i, I don't think it's that much of a con because one that really only happens if you're playing the game a lot. And if you're playing the game a lot, you're having, you know what I mean? Like you've you've gotten your money's worth. Not that every, exactly. Not that every game is going to last forever. So, and, and kind of to go against this and maybe bring up another pro it's what's cool about it is that let's say you have a group of people that you usually play games with and you pick up a social deduction game and you know, you play it every other week or whatever. And then maybe it gets stale. You kind of, everyone figures out what everyone's doing. What's nice is that, Let's say there's a new group of people you want to play with, and then you bring the game over and you set it up. It can be a completely different dynamic. Totally. Because like what I said before, when there's simple mechanics and it's instead based off of the interactions you have with other players, you can really vary the experience by varying the players. Exactly. Yep. And that's that can be really refreshing. Absolutely. It can also be really scary. Also can be really scary. Because <laughs> you set up these norms. A lot of it is, right, Connor, as Connor mentioned, uh, there's so much control that you have over the experience. And so... When you establish these norms and go to a new playgroup, sometimes that can be kind of weird, or sometimes things can get heated. Yeah. And let's first say that when it comes to games, everyone gets competitive. I know I get competitive um, in games, and you can get, you know, you can get butthurt or just get kind of upset if you start losing. 
And that's just natural. It happens to everybody. It's okay. But when you add social deduction into the mix, it can get a little worse in that it never feels good to be lied to. Right? To be lied to and to fall for it. And to fall for it. <laughs> yeah. if you, and this has happened multiple times. And even though it's in the context like, oh, I'm only lying to you because we're playing a game, there still is that, oh my gosh, you just, I thought you were telling the truth the whole time. You still feel cheated. Oh, even you still feel fake. cheated. And it can feel really bad, especially if you already have, you know, that competitive nature or you just kind of have that mentality come up in a game where you're just kind of getting mad that you're not winning. That's just enhanced by the fact that you're not winning because... They just played you. Yep. Yep. To the point where that's like, they played you as a fool and you just didn't know what was going on. Absolutely. Yeah. It feels really, really bad. Because <laughs> yeah. it's one thing to, to feel bad if like, okay, I should have, you know, I didn't, you know, make the best moves here. I wouldn't use the best strategy. And it's another thing where it's like, yeah, you're kind of just stupid because, you know, you just didn't know what was going like you on. you fell for it. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But regardless, that's, that is some of the fun and it's usually not too big of a problem, but it is something that comes up. We have another category. We have pros, cons, and neither, because naturally we have to break the false dichotomy of a full pro and a full con. Um, and we talk about how game variability depends on who's playing, and we we kind of already mentioned this. Yeah, I kind of already mentioned this with after landscape his stale comment. Exactly, um, and, and just suffice to say, all it means is we couldn't put it as a pro or a con because the pros, exactly as Connor said, you get to meet a lot of new people, and you can by adding new people to the play group, the game experiences the game experience changes. And literally, that can just be a good or bad thing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but let's say you don't want to do that and you just have a group of people you really enjoy playing with, then that kind of sucks. Right. It might get stale quicker. Yep. So that's like kind of what we wanted to bring up with that. And that kind of leads us into the next topic, really, in terms of replayability and what makes a social deduction game easier to keep playing or fun to keep playing and not keep playing. Yeah, and honestly, I feel like we've hashed this out already a good amount, right? Yeah. And it's it's the idea of meta development. And a meta, like a play meta being whatever the non... Whatever the, the components of the game that aren't grounded in the rules or the com components, wow, of the gameplay experience <laughs> that aren't grounded in the rules uh, develop. So if we're talking about um, a group of people playing any social deduction game, it's those norms I was talking about how those are established and what those norms are create a meta for continuous play. And whenever you play the game, you're going to subscribe to those norms, which is why sometimes it's hard to bring other people in, but also why the game can become repetitive or stale, right? It's kind of a double yeah. sword. And I'll, I'll give an example here and I'll use Among Us. Please so do. we've played with our group of people when we get a big enough game together among us is fun it's really fun to play with all your friends um and obviously you're either a crewmate which are the good guys the truth seekers or you're an imposter which are the deceivers and basically how the game works is that when somebody dies you all end up talking and kind of you know saying okay well where were you you know what were you doing here and giving kind of your your alibis and so when i play <laughs> when i play the game i have a very distinct way of playing among us and that is when i am a crewmate and we end a truth up seeker. a truth seeker and we end up you know discussing because we found a dead body i go into full-on detective mode right so i start running the conversation asking okay where were you where are you were you doing this like why are you with this or or who are you with at this point in the game and i really just run the conversation and really try and figure out you know where everyone was and whose story doesn't really add up and it's proven effective a it's, good very few times. it's very, very effective it's very effective <laughs> but the problem is 
when I do play a game and I am the bad guy, right? I'm the imposter, the deceiver. And then, you know, we get into that situation. I just don't really say much. And immediately, all of us who are used to Connor dominating the conversation are like, so Connor, why aren't you, uh, why aren't you speaking up? And he's over here just like, you know, he makes the offhand comments. And it's the classic, whenever you're the deceiver and you get accused of being the deceiver, it's harder to like take that hit because you know you're not lying or you know you are lying. Right? Oh, yeah. And they call you out on it. It's, it's, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And so this meta has established where whenever Connor's quiet, right? Everyone in the group's like, huh, he must be the deceiver or the imposter, but and a deceiver. They're usually right. <laughs> yeah, I would say they're it's like right. very effective. And the deal with this, though, is that you can obviously switch this up. I mean, it's not that I have to play this way. And so obviously people have thought like, well, why not just act like that when you're the deceiver? Why not just like run the conversation and ask where everybody is? And it's it's harder to do. Yeah, right? it's, well, it's like an emotion. It's a personality and like an emotional response um, for somebody who when like when I'm a crewmate, I'm the exact same way. Right. I'm very analytical. And because I know I'm not lying because I'm a truth seeker, I don't have to worry about when people accuse me. I'm like, haha, like you're the villain. Like you can't possibly be correct because I know I'm not. the. Yeah. But when it's the the flip side and I'm a bad guy lying to be a good guy, I know they're right deep down. And so it's hard to like. It's hard to try and convince them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to convince them and say, like, oh, you're not right, even though you know that they are right because you're lying. Yep, exactly. Um, Or on the other case, I mean, maybe I just don't play as analytical, right? Maybe I just play differently when I'm a good guy. So it's not as obvious when I'm a bad guy. And these are all good options. But with social deduction and social deduction games, how you play really is kind of rooted in how you are as a person in some regards and that like your personality is going to define how you play the game. So really trying to alter that and kind of switch up how you're going about a game can be difficult. It can be a hard thing to do. Absolutely. And that is basically a long way of saying this is how the meta develops. And this is why meta play styles are a thing. Connor is Connor. So he's always going to play at least tangentially similar to what uh, he, what he just talked about. Right. And so in order to shake that up, we already talked about it. You bring in new people. Yeah. So, Our next topic is one of the most important. We mentioned this at the very beginning, which is integration. How do we talk about what's going on? Um, And how do you, how do you get social, how do you implement social deduction games into, or the concept of social deduction into your games? And so I want to talk about constraints versus rules. I said, I'd mentioned this at some point and constraints are, this is the best way to talk about it. Constraints are exclusive to video games and rules are exclusive to board games. And I say exclusive because they really are exclusive. In a board game, you have rules, right? Let's talk about uh, Uno, a game that almost everyone's played, right? If you're playing Uno, you have to, you know, match the color of the card or the number on the card to play the card, right? Yep. And hypothetically, I could just not do that. I could play any card and, you know, you can all be like, whoa, like, Lance, you can't do that. But I can still do it. But there's nothing stopping you from placing a miss, a mismatched card onto the table. Uh, the game study scholar, Johan Huizinga, talks about the magic circle. It's the idea that when you play a game, you're all subscribing to this uh, shared notion and shared commitment to follow the rules of the game. So if I do that and I'm breaking a rule, right... Obviously, I'm going to incur social criticism. Connor's going to be like, Lance, what do you do? You can't you can't play that card. 
but I can still play the card. <laughs> Fundamentally, I still have the option to break the rules whenever I want. Yeah. And in video games, you can't do that. The difference is it's a constraint, not a rule. If I want to jump out of the map in Valorant, just like walk through a wall, like screw it. I don't care if it's cheating, I'm going to do it. I can't do that. Like literally there is no way feasibly for me to do that, right? Yeah. I can't break the constraints of the game because I am just not empowered to do that. That's how the medium differs from something like video games or for something like board games. And so this factors into social deduction in a really interesting way. And I think the main reason, and we talked about this a little bit at the beginning, is that social deduction is centered around socializing and interacting with people in like a social format or a social context. And the communication channel, shout out to our communications episode, um, that you use is dictated by the game if you're in a video game. Whereas in a board game, you can kind of bend the rules to your liking to modify social deduction. Yeah, because... Yeah, being able to model because social deduction inherently is something that I would say is rather malleable, right? In terms of how you're interacting, how you want to give your evidence or how you want to act as a person. It's very variable and it's not like you have to adhere to a strict set of rules. Um, And so that's easier to implement in like a board game setting um, in comparison to a video game setting because with video games, sure, you can implement, you know, communication systems but there's still going to be a lot of other constraints that you have to do whereas with a because basically let me let me let me slow down for a second with social deduction games they are just better in person i'm going to come out and say it yeah this is my opinion but i think that social deduction games are just going to be better in person because when you're in person there's a lot more things to notice and that's the whole point for example if you're not, if when you're playing a game online that uses social deduction, you can't see the faces that your opponents are making. Maybe you can hear their voices, and you can pick up, you know, different clues from that. But when I'm in person and I'm looking across the table and I'm seeing Lance speak, there's a lot more different cues that I can kind of pick up on and be like, mm, maybe he's lying here, right? Maybe he made a weird face or whatever, whatever. And there's obviously a lot more things than just like physical cues that you kind of get when playing in person. And so when you're playing with a video game, those just aren't there, which means inherently, if you transfer the game, a social deduction game from in person to online, it's just not gonna play as well, which means, okay, maybe a way to counteract this is to add some more mechanics to the game and make it so you have other things to do. So it's not just, this feels worse than if we were in person. But again, what we talked about earlier is that when you ever, when, if you're adding mechanics to a social deduction game, the mechanics have to be directly related to social deduction. If they're not, then that gives an avenue to players to just ignore the social aspect of the game and try playing the game without it. Because let's say you have a mechanic that says, okay, well, you can score points this way and you, there's no social deduction required. Well, what's stopping a player from just saying, okay, I'm just going to focus on this. Yep. Obviously, you can make it maybe it's not a good way to earn points. It's You're going to get more points if you're like socially de-incentivize it. Yeah, de-incentivize it. But that's still giving people avenues. And if you de-incentivize it, that means, okay, people aren't going to use it as much. And now you're just back to the problem of this isn't as fun because we're not in person. And so that's kind of related to the whole constraints versus rules argument because it's harder to implement that malleability within a video game. Yes, and I think I think to kind of like qualify your point a little bit, 
um, in organizational psychology, we talk about channel richness, and that's the idea that certain channels are better, certain communication channels are better than others for conveying information. For social deduction, face-to-face -face is going to be the best, just from a psychological perspective. And it's not that online games can't have it so Connor can see me, but it's they're constrained by the infrastructure they use, right? And almost always, like pretty much universally, it's not going to be feasible to implement every single... Uh, semantic component or communication component uh, that you can get from in-person playing into an online game, right? Because like hypothetically, you could create a social deduction game where I can see Connor, I can talk to Connor, I can, I don't know, smell Connor, I don't know, some weird sure. stuff, right? But where you get all of those sensory details, but it's not going to be feasible and it's probably going to be so overly complex, it just detracts from the overall experience. And that that's like a, a really interesting... Point. So, so that suffice to say, when you're designing these systems, when you want to implement social deduction into your game, you have to figure out what sacrifices you're willing to make to include social deduction, or more aptly, exactly what Connor was talking about, what mechanical systems do you want to put in place to complement the social deduction components? Yeah, because it's obviously it's okay to add more mechanics, so there's other things for you to do, but exactly, it needs to complement the social deduction rather than take away from it or isolate it. And with that said, it's also something to consider in terms of like the spectrum on which you want your game to have social deduction. Um, and so we kind of talked about this with some of the examples we've given previously, and that some games have aspects or kind of different, you know, just kind of small, like related, not in a huge way in terms of social deduction. And if you kind of were to put it on a spectrum, right, you'd have on one end, you'd kind of have politics, which is like negotiating different deals. And none of these deals are binding and that you never have to be truthful. And so for an example of this is at Settlers of Catan, you're allowed to trade resources with people. You're allowed to say, oh, if you give me a wood, I'll give you, you know, two wheat or whatever. Or to take it further, you could say, if you give me a wood now, I'll give you the next wheat that I get. Um, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. But let's say they give you that wood. There's no reason you don't have to give them that wheat, even though you promised them that you would. The only thing, yeah, literally the the social contract, right? That's just like, you know, I'm I'm promising to give Connor this. So if I don't, you know, it's kind of a a bad thing to do, right? right. Like the societal pressure is the only exactly. thing. There's and no so maybe, constraint exactly. mandating There's that. no constraint mandating that. And maybe let's say you do not give them the resource that they wanted later in the game. Maybe that just makes it so, okay, now they're not going to trade with you. So now you can't utilize that mechanic of the game yeah. at all. But with that said, when you do have politics integrated in your game in that fashion, you don't have to use them. You can play Settlers of Catan without negotiating with any of the opposing players and you could still win. There's enough like mechanical sustenance yeah. to the game. Yeah. But in a game like Among Us, uh, Secret Hitler, Mafia, you have to. I mean, if you don't, you know, discuss and try and figure out, you know, why you did why this person did this or if they're a bad guy, you might as well just be ro rolling the dice. Yeah, you'll always you'll almost always lose because if you don't interact on a political level because if you're the deceivers you're you are a minority of the players and sure you have some abilities that give you more power over them but you're probably that's just probably mitigating the majority difference so you're on their level and yeah. if you're the truth seekers you have no information so if you don't politic to try to get some 
you're going to be completely in the dark. And it's exactly what Connor said. It's a roll of the dice. So if you don't politic in games like that, where it's essential that you use social social deduction skills, you're almost always going to lose. Oh, yeah. And obviously no one wants to play the game like that. You're going to play a game and say, I'm going to use the best tools at my disposal disposal to make it so I have a better chance of winning the game. And that's why... But suffice to say, the reason we're talking about this is because if we're designing a game, you want to talk about, like, that's a decision you need to make. Do I want it so my game is socially complex enough that all I need is, like, some very, like, rudimentary politics systems in to to build, like, a fun game, like Catan, for example? Or do I need it to be much more robust, like the social systems, where if people don't communicate socially, they pretty much can't play the game? Yeah. No, that's a really good point. That's just something to consider. Obviously, games that have, you know, social systems on a varying scale are going to have, they're going to feel different, they're going to play different, and it just depends on what type of game you want to make. But I think, again, having social systems like that in place, obviously you can do it in ways in which deduction isn't necessarily with it, but it is a strategy to encourage player interaction and I think that if you're thinking about designing a game or when it just comes to game design in general, enticing player interaction, encouraging in player interaction or requiring player interaction is going to make a game more enjoyable. Yeah. It's going to make you have a better experience when you're playing with your friends and not just feel like there's n- no reason for you to be playing with anybody else. Yep, exactly. And social deduction is just a way you can do this. And it's kind of a fun, spicy way to do this because... Your friends could be lying to you. Exactly. And and it's upcoming, right? I, I have a few friends that are game developers and there are many, I think I'm, I was remembering this. I'm pretty sure I said this on an episode of the podcast, like one of our first few episodes. Uh, one of the questions was, where do we see, what's like the next big game design genre you think will happen? I might, I might've said this to a friend, dang it. So it's not on a record, um, <laughs> but they said, uh, what do you think the next big genre is going to be? Like what in 2016, it was hero shooters. Like when Overwatch came out and all the clones. No, no, no. We did talk about that on the RTS episode. Oh, on the RTS episode. Okay. Yeah. So we did talk about this and I distinctly remember, I was like, oh, no doubt in my mind, it's going to be social deduction games, Mm -hmm. right? With the advent of Among Us and its burgeoning success, it will be like developers will start building social deduction games. Lo and behold, a few weeks after we recorded that episode, I, um, had some time to talk to one of my friends who's uh, currently in progress on an early version of a game that is a social deduction game. That is very, it's like a new take on an Among Us type game. And I was, I felt so validated. I was like, oh, that's completely (laughs) correct. (laughs) Um, But that's, that's our discussion on social deduction. So everything we talked about, I mean, use as you wish, but that's, that's kind of the the framework for these design ingredient segments. We're going to be giving you a bunch of information, our thoughts on some sort of topic Uh, Not all of them are going to be as structured as something like the designing effective communication systems episode where we just give like six steps or whatever to design an effective communication system. We're kind of just doing like a brain dump of stuff on social deduction and hopefully you enjoyed it. Uh, Connor, do you have anything else to say before we wrap up? Yeah, no, I mean, hopefully we'll talk about different things in the future um, in terms of design ingredients and giving you a variety of spices to use to (laughs) add to your game. But yeah. So last week, I hope I hope we didn't promise this last week, but we might have, we might have promised I that there'd be a, this would be a scythe episode. We did. Okay, the scythe episode will be next week. It's going to be, and the reason we delayed it another week is because uh, we decided to do a big two-part episode, and so we're going to be talking about 
um, what Scythe is as a board game, and then the design decisions and design complexities of Scythe. So that'll be a really long episode, kind of like the Valorant episode. Yeah. As such, we wanted to release it at the same time. So if you've already played Scythe, you can probably skip the first episode. And if you haven't, you can watch the first episode. Yeah, we'll structure it in a way that the first episode is just to explain the game, Scythe, how to play, you know, the mechanics of it. Um, so that way, if you haven't played Scythe, you can listen to that, and then you kind of understand better the when we start discussing about the design implementation of Scythe. But if you've already played Scythe, then we'll design, we'll create those episodes in a way where you can just skip the first part and go right into what we think about the design aspects of Scythe. So thank you so much, and we will see you next week.